Welcome to Bit About Crypto. I'm David James, the Job Whisperer, and I'm again here hosting another episode of Bit About Crypto and with my co-host, Dave Hampton. What How are you we, doing? What do we call you? Robo Recruiter. Why do we call you that, David? Because I'm relentless. He's so relentless. I'm relentless. He's so, he's so relentless. All right? You, you, you got this dog. You, you put it in the backyard. And you say, there's no way this dog's getting out of this. And dig, 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 dig. I'll find a way. That's how uh, Dave Hampton does recruiting. So, so it can't be done. And that gets me going. Yeah. And welcome to Bit About Crypto. So for those of you uh, in the audience, uh, Bit About Crypto was designed specifically uh, for people who wanted to know about crypto and just didn't know who to ask, right? And there's so many people that want to know about crypto. And A, they're getting bad advice. And nobody wants to feel foolish when they don't know something, right? And it takes a learning curve. And there's, there's no really good way to learn other than like mentorship, right? One person talking to another. And there's a lot of bad advice out there. There's a lot of ripoff out there. And so the genesis of a uh, bit about crypto came from my, my love of cryptocurrency and, and blockchain and how it's going to change so many things, uh, not to mention sound money. Sound money is one of them, but <clears throat> also transparency. And there's a lot of words you can actually use. And so also, we're going we're gonna to go early right now. And let's just get a word from our sponsor, Travis, our engineer. Who is our sponsor? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's blockchainrecruiters.net. Oh, is that who it is this week? Okay. Yes. So, yeah, Blockchain Recruiters. So if you're looking for a job in crypto, right, you can find me on Twitter. If, if, you, if you're not using Twitter, then you're not working in blockchain, okay? You can go work at the mall. So I'm uh, at the BTC Recruiter, right? And I'm old, and I got a Twitter account, and I tweet, okay? So if I'm tweeting, you can do it. And I'm pretty much the oldest guy in blockchain ever, other than Michael Saylor. So, yeah, and you can also go old school. You can send me a resume, David J at blockchainrecruiters.net. That's net, 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 not the one that starts with a C, okay? Because <clears throat> remember, if you don't put a net on it, you won't be caught in my net. And remember, it's not who you know, it's who I know. <clears throat> and if you're actually working a blockchain project and you need people, you need the best talent, <clears throat> you need them found, enrolled, and compelled, you call me and, of course, Robo Recruiter yep, over here. <clears throat> you can find me at Dave at blockchainrecruiters.net. Yeah, and we will get them to sign on the line that is dotted, right, Dave? Yes, sir. So, uh, our, speaking of Dave's, it's all Dave, Dave, Dave. Dave Spurco, going to give a shout-out to Dave Spurco, Tampa, Florida. He actually sent me an article. Let me pull it up here. And the article was, <laughs> literally, looking for a job in cryptocurrency? Do these three things to stand out. And I'm going to say, okay, this this would be good because we're podcasting this week today, and blah blah blah. Understand the fundamentals, right? And there's so many people that don't understand the fundamentals. They just they just buy Shiba Inu or they buy Doge, right? Because right. you know the guy the guy with the tattoo on his neck at the 7-Eleven, yeah, he's buying them. Following the hype, yeah. That's that's correct. That's number one. Number two. Highlight your unique perspective, and I'm going to talk to everybody out there. Southwest they hire for attitude and they train to aptitude, right? <clears throat> right? And the thing about blockchain, if, if you're interested in this and you want to know, start learning as much as you can and bring your relevant skills to what you've learned in life, to what you do now, to that thing. And number three, have a proactive attitude, right? Yep. Or as Stephen Covey says, keep the end result in mind. Right. You know, uh, and the whole purpose, uh, the way that uh, Bit About Crypto starts, <clears throat> we bring in people, and we talk about them as a human interest story, right? And so the so people can go, huh, I'm like this person. Huh, I'm not like this person. 
But what do they all have in common? They have crypto or an awareness of crypto or the understanding of crypto. And as we've said, there's only two kinds of people in the world, those that are into crypto and those that will be, right? And so uh, John, our host, John Orlando, he's doing homework right now. <laughs> he was given an assignment. He said, I've got a great guest for you. And he says, you got to get this guy on the show. And, and rarely does he actually pop up with a guest. And I said, okay. And I just wanted to see him sight and scene. And just before the show, I actually pulled up his uh, LinkedIn profile. And I spoke to him briefly before he got here. And I could tell he's, he's got a great gift for loquacity. I think he's uber smart. And I just want to welcome the graduate of the University of Texas, former o officer of the Air Force, Captain... Michael Sartain. Hey guys, man, I appreciate this. This is uh, this is great. This has always been. Uh, so I'm a fund manager, and and uh, crypto has always been something that I've had to be educated on and and and, uh, and invest in. So before we get into crypto and your awareness of it and how you compare, yeah, being a fund manager, there's there's incredible relevance to you know what's going on and what's going to go on in other happenings. But let's just talk about you, right? So let's talk about where you were. Born and raised in Dallas? Yeah, so I'm from East Dallas. Uh, I went to high school in a pretty rough neighborhood, but I, I grew up in Lakewood. So it's like, I don't know if you've ever been to Dallas. It's kind of a... Dude, I, I know where you went, man. Yeah, I, for I, sure. I went, to, I went to... Yeah, I, I, uh, I taught at W.T. White. There you go. So you know. So, I went to high school in Fruitvale. Okay. No, I'm totally nice. kidding. I just know that that's a rough neighborhood. So, so for David, I live north of Swiss Avenue. I went to high school south of Swiss Avenue. Yep. So you kind of understand like yeah, the yeah. bifurcation of my, so my growing Swiss, Swiss, Swiss Avenue, the demarcation line? It, it kind of is. For East Dallas, it is the demarcation line. Yeah. You, if you live, the home prices <laughs> decline vociferously once you go south of Swiss. Talk to me about like your socioeconomics, like mom, dad, what they did, how brothers. My, so my dad was a financial planner. My mother was a nurse for about 40 years. And my grandfather's a professor at Southern Methodist University. He was S a, a business SMU. professor. So, so you you were brought in to consciousness of, of intellectual people with a, just a gift for curiosity and, and what is that, right? De definitely a gift for curiosity. Finance also, uh, uh, Bill yes. Bill O'Brien, or uh, yeah, I believe that's his name. The guy who wrote How to Make Money in Stocks. He's one of my uh, grandfather's per, uh, students. Oh, and, wow. and Lamar Hunt, also the owner of the Kansas City Chiefs, is yeah. also one of the students of my, of my grandfather <coughs> over at uh, Southern Methodist. And I've always had these guys that were really understanding of finance, which sort of turned me off to it. To be honest with you, first 20, 30 years of my life, I had no interest in finance whatsoever. Yeah, that makes sense. And it, and it was one of these things that happened until I got out of the military where I, I became very aware of, hey, okay, this was is what works. This is what actually doesn't work. Well, for me, because uh, in college I studied so much astronomy and physics, uh, the the idea of being able to model things and the mathematics of it made more sense than just sort of picking patterns on a on a chart. So that's the reason why I actually became more interested in finance because I, I started to understand uh, some ideas about it. So let's talk about like <clears throat> grade school, high school, uh, brothers, sisters, how many? So I have a younger brother. Um, he he is in the, uh, what is it, the cannabis space? Okay. <laughs> Not necessarily legal or illegal. Uh, he he's is an entrepreneur. Uh, yeah, entrepreneur in that space. Uh, my brother's really smart. He's probably the funniest guy I know. Um, but he, I have one younger brother who still lives in Dallas. Uh, and then my parents, my father passed away in 06. Uh, and then my mother still lives in Garland, Texas, even right now. Okay. And I have about, I have 35 cousins. Most of them are Colombian from Medellin, Colombia. They still, and slowly they have immigrated to the States. Mo almost all of them live in, in Texas. Yeah, I got cousins who moved from uh, Guatemala. They, they moved during that uh, that Texas snow uh, S-storm, right? It was just, yeah. it's like, welcome to the USA, yeah, man. Yeah, man, when the, the, the snowmageddon yeah, that happened yeah, snow in Texas. 2013? No, no, this no, is last, no, this last winter, this past, the, the this entire past power grid in Texas. Oh, oh that, that, yeah. that, oh, yeah. 
yeah, remember the you know, snowstorm. Give a shout out to Jeffy Berthiam, right? He actually works for Southwest as a data programmer. He told me that he and his girlfriend, who works for Amazon, literally were on the floor in blankets trying to keep warm with each other. When the power would go on. They would turn the oven on, try and get some heat, get some food cooked. I mean, it was brutal. It was yeah. crazy. People had $17,000 heating bills right. after that. Yeah, it was oh, a real, no. real, oh, no. real, really crazy situation. But anyway. Um, Wait, I, so, so you're, you're of Colombian descent? Yeah, so my, my father's family is British-ish, right? So okay. there's a mutt of different Irish, Scottish, British, uh, that kind of thing. The Sartains from Suffolk, England. And your back mom's in the Colombian? My mother's from Medellin, Colombia. Oh, she's from, from La Union, Colombia in so, Antioquia. So you're the first generation on, from your mom? Your mom? Correct, okay. yeah. Uh-huh. So did your mom speak to you in Spanish? She did, and I, I didn't really pick up on a lot of it. Maybe yeah. at some point I did, but uh, I can understand Spanish almost completely fluently and have a hard time speaking it's it. It's funny because my, my, my wife is Mexican, and she just says, I don't speak Spanish. And she, she understands it when she has to, but I asked her parents about that. I said, why? Why, why wouldn't you speak in Spanish? She says, we wanted our kids to assimilate, right? right? Because in the 60s and the 70s, that she wanted everything. And so I kind of always asked that question for cultural awareness. So when you, do you do sports? Yeah, so I played uh, outside linebacker and tight end, and then I was a uh, captain of the wrestling team, and then I played a little bit of basketball. Uh, and what what weight in wrestling? Uh, 177. Yeah, you were a little big. I was captain of the wrestling team, uh-huh. but I was 121, so yeah. and a lot shorter then. Well, I I, had to, I, I was 160 something, but I wrestled 170. You, wrestled, I, you went up. I wrestled three different weight classes. We didn't have a wrestling team before I I got to this school, <laughs> and I was a jujitsu instructor at the well, uh, Aiki jujitsu instructor at the time, and then I then went and started a wrestling. We started a wrestling team. There was another guy at the school way better than me, and he was teaching me how to wrestle, but I knew how to grapple, and so uh, we did that for a while, and then. Uh, and then I ran track and I threw shot put and the hurdles. If we could afford this guy, he'd be a great recruiter, but we can't afford right. him. <laughs> That's right. So anyhow, okay, so as you're in high school and and, uh, and figuring out what you're going to be in life, you know, I'm, I'm speaking for me, I was looking at college for a degree, not an education. Yeah. Right? Tell, tell me about what, did you go to college right out of high school? Yeah, so so for me, because I was a 12-4A, uh, that's where, I, I think they're 5A now. They're 5A, where, I think where, so, yeah. W.T. White was in our division. So it was W.T. White, Hillcrest, Woodrow Wilson, and I forget. Okay, everybody, they're talking about high schools. Talking about high schools in DFW, or in Dallas, Dallas Independent yeah, School District. football's king, man. Football's king. I believe there's 22 high schools. Friday Night Lights. Yes. Yeah. So I was in 12-4A at the time, and I was the district debate champion for that. So, <laughs> so when you get that. We're in you, trouble. You get the NFL uh, honors. They're called National Forensic League honors. So because of that, and because I was a minority, I got I got letters from Columbia, Harvard, all these different places. Not because of my grades, but because of the fact that I was a debate champion. And so I was considering going to trying to go to an Ivy League school. And then my dad realized that I was not going to get a scholarship for it. And he's like, "No, you're not, going, <laughs> you're not going there. It's either SMU or someplace in state." And I went to the University of Texas, and I was there for thirty minutes. And I was like, "I'm, I'm going to go here." There's no, there was no question. Hook'em no, horns. Yeah, hook'em horns. Like if you go to Austin, I'm sorry, Austin in 1996. Now it's, it's now it's, it's a it was a good town, man. It's, yeah. a, lot, it's a fun town to play in, it man. Was, it was definitely so fun. fun. I, I Austin today is a big giant Starbucks. Austin back in '96. <laughs> Austin '96 was was like what Nashville is. It's just fun, it's live fun, music, dude. barbecue, yeah. just just amazing Free. time. Free, yeah, exactly. I used to say Austin, Texas, in the '90s was a place for the brokest guys in the world to have the absolute most fun, drinking dollar beers at different places.
places. Not like Vegas. Vegas is a fun place, but you you, now you pay now. You pay. You pay. You pay. Free months. You pay for fun here. Do you remember South by Southwest? You just walked up. You walked up to South by. You didn't have a wristband. You didn't show up in a private jet. You just walked up to South by. And now South by Southwest is just like this huge festival. It's kind of like what Sundance is. Correct. Yeah. You're excluded in. You're excluded out. Correct. So let me ask you this question. Tell me a couple of jobs you had in high school. Just rattle along. High school or college? So lifeguard, and then I worked for a temp agency. So I was a lifeguard at Wet and Wild, which is a great. I mean, oh, yeah. it's really yeah, cool. Definitely learned a lot. Arlington. But here's the main thing. So I worked for Sports Radio 1310, the ticket in Dallas, and I was an intern there, and that was the, probably the greatest job I ever had because I happened to be an intern there the 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 in, the semester that OJ the OJ trial was. Oh. So this is '95. He, he yeah '95. He murdered his wife in '94 allegedly, and uh, in '95 he, uh, he that was when the trial happened. So I, yeah. I was thank there. God he was convicted because now we've got that cleared up. Yeah, now we got that cleared <laughs> up. And by the way, if you want to talk to him about it, you can see him at Jing every Thursday here in Las Vegas. He is there every week. But um, yeah, no, the, the it's really funny because um, that that was a huge growth thing for me. And then the other internship I had was working for the uh, the Lou Starrett, the the courthouse. I used to work there. Um, it's right next to where the Kennedy assassination was. That's where the courthouse yeah. is. And if you go there, there's a bunch of judges. Like just they're just county judges or, or city judges, whatever. And I would go from one courtroom to another, and I'd watch every capital murder trial I could get my hands on. I would just go sit in and just watch the procedure. And it was terrific, really, really great experience. And then oh. I went to UT Austin, but it was never a decision. It was like in 07, I was in the military and I visited Vegas for one week. One week, my decision was over. I was going to move here. No doubt about it whatsoever. I went to Austin in 96 for my, you know, I was checking out different schools. Not, it was not even a question. I was here for, I was there for an hour and a what, half. What did you study? Um, so the funny thing is I was, I was in the business school. So management information systems. MIS. Correct. Okay. And. Um, I didn't necessarily want that. So, they, so but, why'd you pick it? So every, everyone told me it, okay. apply to the business school. You should Great. apply because it's a Great. hard business school. It's the business only one school. you have to apply to. So I applied into the uh, Macomb School of Business. Macomb's, I get yeah. in there and then I, my electives were all astronomy and astrophysics and I was taking upper level astronomy classes and my astronomy professors were like, you should switch into the natural sciences. And then I went and looked and found out that guess what most physics professors do? Anybody know? They work in finance. Um, there are more physics. Yeah, PhD. yeah. Actuaries. There are more. Right. Yeah, they're so more. You're like, you're like, nope, not doing that. Wait, wait, stop. So, so at this time, so you're like possibly a sophomore in college, and I'm a freshman. Okay, you're I'm fresh. a freshman doing MIS, thinking about switching over to RTF, going um, back into radio, but, or going into. But physics. here's what I want to know, right? Because you know, naturally, I, I ask people what they do for a living and jobs. And yeah. So you're in MIS trying to get into business school. What are you thinking you're going to be in 10 years or five years? What's to, to what end so you're thinking about at then? At this point, yeah. I still want to do sports radio at this point. Cause I had worked at a sports radio station and I loved it so much, but there's just no money in it. And it's just, it's not, that there's no money. It's, it's 10 years of being a board op before you get right. an on air place and you're barely there's making no linear like line to get there. Right? Correct. Like, and, and it's not, it's not a meritocracy. I used right. to, so I'll just, Sorry, mom, if you didn't know this, I used to be a DJ at a strip club, and I tell and I used to tell my friends, "Dios mio," that's yeah. what mom just said. Yes, for sure. Um, <laughs> I was a DJ at a strip club for four years before I joined the military because uh, I graduated from high school or got college literally the month that MCI WorldCom and Enron go out of business. So all the MIS jobs gone, and all my friends, November two thousand one, all my all the MIS jobs gone. All my friends with MIT degrees or IT degrees gone. They're t totally uh, out of work, and I end up working at this gentleman's club just as a on a whim, thinking I'm going to do this for six months there's no jobs right there's a, a market crash then uh then uh 
what's it? Nine uh, eleven happens. There's no jobs, right. dude. We have a the, the stock market tanks. It was crazy. So I was, end up working there. And when I'm there, one of the things I realized is I talked to the guy who had the Friday night shifts, the best shifts. And I was like, How'd you get these shifts? I was like, I've been here for ten years, twelve years. It's not a meritocracy. You just survived yeah, the last tenure. guy. It's tenure. Man. It's tenure. You just survived the last guy. So yeah, that's it's just, like a geritocracy. Yeah, that Jared, exactly. Right? Exactly. Uh, but that that was one of the situations. And then when I saw 9-11 happen, I was literally at a strip club when I when I saw it happen. I came in there for the morning meetings, and I'm watching the replays up there, and I'm like, that's what I'm going to do. And so I, that's when I went to a recruiter at Adobe Mall. Uh, I don't know if you've been in Austin. It's right there in front of the, 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 the mall. <clears throat> I go to Adobe Mall. I go to a Marine Corps recruiter. They say, we have no spots for officers. I go to an Air Force recruiter. I said, I'd like to be an Intel officer. And they're like, you are going to fly an airplane. And so that's how I ended up being coming. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. You know, my experience in the military is I just had no time for college. I was 17 and I was going to forge a note and go. Mm -hmm. Right. And of course, I, of course, because I'm so brilliant, I picked the dumbest of the forces, right? which is the army. I don't care. I love the army today and they've got a role to do. But when it comes to the, the natural selection process, basic, <laughs> I'm just going to keep it real. I just I, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I, I believe that the Air Force are the smartest then the Navy, the second, the Marines, third. And the army fourth. Now, not saying that not very, very smart people in the army, but if there's like you've got that 75 IQ and you're from an uninvolved household, they're going to get you in the army. You know, basic duty soldier or something. But yeah. you know, I digress. Yeah. I digress. And so, I, so I, of course, they're going to select you. So you, you go in now. This is uh, so you you got into the uh, you you went to I guess uh, Fort Collins. No, so no. Air Force. So I oh, for Lackland first, Colorado no, Springs. So, so Colorado Springs. That's what I meant no, to say. No, so I was I went to UT Austin. So I had a degree from a, a degree, from a four yeah, year first. university. So I was I go to officer training school. Yeah, OCS. It, was, it wasn't Lack, Lackland. in Colorado. No, 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 no. He he'd already graduated, right? and so he oh, right. he goes to the recruiter, and he wants to go as an so, officer. So, so they send you, they send him to OCS. So you go there while you're getting your degree, and I understand. It's so like no, no, I, no, no, no. So, so when I'm in the military, oh, I'm sorry. When I'm in college, I have no intention of joining the military. Okay. I graduate, and then I'm working at a gentleman's club. Then 9/11 happens. Then I go to a recruiter. The recruiter explains to me. So OCS is for the Marine Corps. OTS is what the Air Force. And has. where is right. that? Maxwell Air Force Base in Montgomery, Alabama. So it's a 12 week Got course. Got it. Yeah. Yes. If you if, now let's say you. You guys are like a thoracic heart surgeon or attorney or a chaplain. You go to what, what's uh, I go to what's called basic officer training. They go to what's called commissioned officer training. They go to a four week course where they learn how to march and literally nothing else. And then you come out, you're a lieutenant colonel. Day one, you're a thoracic heart surgeon, lieutenant yeah, colonel. Yeah, they go in as an 05. Correct. They come in as 05. Right. We came in, we come in as 01s, right? So that's the the, the date. And, and so I, in my classes, PJs, pilots, navigators, intel officers, finance officers, guys like that. But we all come in as second lieutenants. We are awarded our, our butter bars. Uh, it was May four. Uh, it would been May fourteenth, two thousand four. Would have been that. So four years exactly after that, May fourteenth, two thousand eight, I become a captain. That's how it works. That's how promotion in the Air Force is just like uh, based on tenure. Okay. And so did you did you have a certain vengeance about what happened in nine eleven that fueled you? I, I felt a, a certain duty, and then also you know my father and my family being proud. I, I was the first guy in the military in my entire family. Uh, no, I had an uncle who's in the Colombian Army, but other than that, like <laughs> nobody else uh, in my family was ever in the military. And so, so Colombian Army, you get two paychecks: one from the government, one from the <laughs> I cartel. Don't, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. Yeah, no, come on now, come on. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was just a situation where it, it was one of these things where you know you have fear of missing out. 
well, this is one of these things where I knew that if I was flying in an airplane over Iraq, there was no point where, where I was going to say, I wonder if my family's proud of me, or I wonder what my friends are thinking, or I wonder if I'm doing my duty, or I wonder if I could be doing something more. I never had those feelings because I'm literally in a plane going 420 knots over, over Baghdad. So I didn't, that, that kind of took all that away. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And it was such a culture shock because I remember laying on my couch one day working at this gentleman's club for, you know, at this point, three years and like making really good money, almost all of it cash. And then meeting, I remember this guy named Tony Q. He worked at a, a gentleman's club in San Antonio and the guy had been there for 24 years and put two of his daughters through college. And the guy was like morbidly obese, had this deep wow. smoker's voice. And I just realized like, like while he's not unhappy, this is all I have to look forward to. Do you yeah. understand? Like it's never going to get any yeah. better than yeah. this. And I, and I was like, no, don't get me wrong. The guy paid for some houses and put his kids through college. So yeah. I'm not, I'm not complaining. He gets to hang out with pretty girls all the time, but I was just like, man, this is not what I want. So I, that's why I went to the recruiter and I always said to my, I was joking. My friends I was like, if something bad happens, I'll just go back to being a DJ at a strip club. <laughs> yeah. I, we're past that. You got, point. You got skills. Now, we're, I'm 43. We're past that point. But, but uh, yeah, that, that was always something that, you know, I was thinking about doing. So the funny story is the last day I worked at sugar's cabaret in, Austin, Texas. Shout out to Sugars. Sugars, right? So I swear in the morning of the 19th in at Fort Sam Houston in Meps, I swear in the night of the 20th, I go, I'm sorry, I swear in the, the night of, of the- Of what uh, month? Uh, the February, it been February of 04. Uh, so I swear in on the 19th, on the night of the 20th, I work at Sugars and then I drive to Maxwell Air Force Base. So officially- and I'm hopefully I don't get in trouble for this. I worked at a gentleman's club for one day while I was a an oh. 05 in the U S military. So <laughs> and got a paycheck for it. So I don't wait, know wait, how that oh, works. Oh, oh, three. Oh, three. So, so here's, oh, no, five? so here's how it works. When you, before you go to OTS on your E five, E five, I'm sorry. Uh, okay. Before you go to ET, before yeah, you go yeah. to OTS, you get paid as an O as an E five. Right. Right. You get paid as an E five <laughs> until you get your butter bars. Then you get paid as an O one. That's the basic, basically the way it right. works. I'm no, sorry, but, I said. No, no, I just said, hey man, I, I not, yeah, I'm not I, a lieutenant colonel. Yeah, I'm like I lieutenant colonel. How did you? Yeah, I demoted this guy. Yeah. Just like, hey, let me bring in staff sergeant uh, Sarte. No, any other. Yeah. So, uh, you get into. Let's talk about you getting into stocks and how that happened. So my father passes away, and I meet our uh, money manager, and it is the money very, manager for your family. Money manager for a family, and he, my this gentleman, he's a great guy, been friends with my dad since high school, which always alarms me when I hear that. And I'm like, well, okay. why? Because, because, uh, so I'm of the opinion that we should all be educated by Nobel laureates. I'm, I'm of, have you guys ever seen the Khan Academy? The Khan Academy is this, it's this guy named Sal Khan. He, he used to be a hedge fund manager and he came up with this idea for education should be the best educators should teach via video and then we should have classroom instruction. I don't necessarily need to trust the guy that I went to school with, right? And I, by the way, Bill is great. I'm not going to say his name out here, but he, he was a great guy, but he, I, I gave him some, some advice on some things that I thought we should change. And I looked at the portfolio and it was extremely dated. Like it was very clear that the portfolio was built into trends that were in the 1990s. And I was like, the, some of these things are like not even realistic anymore. Mm -hmm. And then I was getting a lecture about diversification and I'm like, but Apple is in the S&P 500. So that's not really diversification, is it? Right? If I have Apple and Microsoft and Netflix and Google, and I have the S&P 500, they're the same thing, sort of, right? So I, I just, I, I, it was one of these situations where like little alarm bells were going off. Not that they were doing anything wrong. It's just they weren't doing much. They were just kind of like selling me on something that uh, I, I just had a weird feeling about it. So I read every book I can on finance. And then I, I find these, these guys, um, 
you know the CBOE, the Chicago Board of Option Exchange, they, they used to have a pit, right? They had the, these pits for each one of the, the different equities that they would trade. And these guys were pit traders. And if you ever meet them or the ladies in there, they're all tall, extremely loud from Chicago, <laughs> like big, brutal guys, right? So one of them is named Tom Sosnoff. And Tom Sosnoff, is, um, he, he created the Thinkorswim application that, that TD Ameritrade bought. I don't know if you guys have ever used it. There's a paper trading application, probably the foremost options trading platform on the planet. He built that, sold it to TD Ameritrade. Once the uh, the 08 crash happened, the stock price went down. They 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 took him over. Then they he stayed on the board for a while. And then in 2013, he created this thing called Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade, the financial yeah. network. And so I I found them. And when I found them, they made this whole thing make sense to me mathematically. Right? They didn't promise me profits or anything like that. And I, I was lucky enough to get mentored by Tom and Tony Batista, who was also another pit trader. If you ever meet these guys, they're six three, they you know like two three, two thirty, two forty, yeah. loud as shit. My size, yeah, That's exactly. Small to Hampton, who's six six. And they they literally would tell me these guys would hire offensive linemen to go work in the pit, like former NFL or uh, offensive linemen who were six six, because they'd yell louder and they wouldn't get pushed off of their position. But they saw the writing on the wall in two thousand. They were like, this isn't going to work. This is all going to become electronic. This buying and selling, yelling <laughs> shit is not going to work anymore. And so all, as it became electronic, they create their first platform. Then they create their second platform. I believe 2016, 2017, they create what's called Tastyworks. And now I'm one of the featured traders for Tastyworks. So every time I put a trade on, my trade then goes onto the Tastyworks platform. So all, you know, one or 200,000 uh, subscribers to that, to that uh, platform can see any, every one of my trades. And then they introduced me to a hedge fund manager who was looking for a specific style of trading. Uh, and that had to do with short options, a, a, basically a hedge fund manager just for short option contracts or for uh, short option spreads. And that's why they recommended me. It's not that um, I, I just happened to specialize in this one particular style of trading. Mm -hmm. And they introduced me to the guy. The guy meets me. He realizes that I host bikini competitions in Las Vegas. <laughs> He's kind of confused, like, who the fuck is this guy? And then next thing you know, uh, he, he asked me some questions. And then I end up explaining to him quantitative analysis and efficient market hypothesis and how uh, 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 stochastic models work and, and uh, standard deviations, and then he's like, "You're hired." And then that I've been managing money for him for the last three years. So I ask all my guests, mm -hmm. guests, and we're at the part of the show where I'm going to ask you, "How did crypto find you?" So for me, uh, it was a situation where a buddy of mine named Dan Fleischman, who uh, who owns, he runs the Elevator Boot Camp thing in Los Angeles, probably the biggest crypto. Um, <sighs> A mastermind that there is in the whole city. He uh, he starts hosting these events, and because he's a buddy of mine, he would invite me. I'd, I'd get to come for free, and uh, a bunch of my friends, all self help guys, are there. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, hardcore closer and Ty Lopez and all these other guys that live in L.A. that sell uh, online products. They're all there. Uh, Ty Lopez, a buddy of mine, he sold a, a crypto product, and I start I start reading it, and I and I I know enough about finance to see the wheat from the chaff. I do not believe in TA. I don't believe in technical analysis. So I, I'm sitting there watching this stuff, and I'm like, ah, why not? Uh, because the math doesn't support it. So Fama in French in, in 1970, they write a paper uh, about efficient heart market hypothesis. They win the Nobel Prize for it in 2013. And when you go through it and understand, as long as the markets are efficient, meaning we all, like the reason why Warren Buffett doesn't beat the S&P 500 anymore is because it, Warren Buffett in the 1960s had an asymmetrical amount of information. I'm sorry, I'm talking about fundamental analysis. No, no, right keep now. going. Yeah. So but he, he was able to hire uh, private investigators in order to find out stuff about stocks that was asymmetric, meaning you or I didn't know as a retail trader but he knew because he had the, the, the ability to find out some of these things. Mm -hmm. And as time progressed and he got to the dot-com bubble, you, started, you start seeing Berkshire Hathaway starts following further and further behind because, they, because the asymmetry of information is gone now. I know just as much as, as he does. Yeah. Now, what, what, now, what's his, his, his advantage? He's still 
uh, he's still Warren Buffett. He goes to Solomon Brothers, and as soon as he invests, well, now everybody jumps in, and he talks his book. Right. He gets, he's he gets, a market maker of sorts. For sure. He talks his book, and so, you know, if Warren Buffett is involved, then I'll get involved. Modern-day E.F. E. Hutton, for, right? Exact, exactly. But for the most part, what you'll find is that with the exception of guys like Jim Simon or Lynch or some or people like that, those guys are market makers, and they're able to beat the market on a regular basis because they have, like, billions and billions of dollars right. to take the opposite side of your trade. But other than those people, the guys at the top, the top five hedge fund producers this year are the bottom five and five years from now and the reason why is because you can't pick market direction and that's that's essentially what the what the hypothesis was which is why i sell stock options in, instead of doing that and the thing with crypto for me was like i was really excited about the amount of implied volatility in the in each one of these different things and i also think blockchain is going to change the world i personally do the technology of blockchain but the issue I had with the market was number one, there is no liquid options market, and number two, I can't short any coin. I can't short any coin from as a retail trader right now. I can't, and the only listed device or instrument that I can use is the one I believe the OEX has in Chicago, where it's five bitcoins for one futures contract, which is insane, and you need ninety percent uh, notional in order to trade it. So it means, what is uh, right now? It's at forty k or something like that. Forty two, forty four, forty five, forty five. Something. Like, we'll, we'll just say forty. Forty times five is two hundred thousand. I need one hundred eighty thousand dollars notional to trade one contract. So this is not. This is for yeah. retail traders. This That's is asymmetric. Yeah. This is this is insane. Like this yeah. is ridiculous. But they're so worried about currency risk that they're not they're not going to let you you know, really trade this product. So it, it felt to me like the people that I worked with from the traditional finance world were very resistant to the crypto world, right? Right. And and so I, I got more and more into crypto, start, started learning more about it. And I just, I went to the guys who were, run my fund and I said to them, we when there's a, a liquid options market, we could be the first people to offer a fund for this. I think because one of the things is right now, if I own Bitcoin, I can't hedge Bitcoin. I can't. There is literally no way to do it. There is no one. There's no negative. Well, an argument could be made is if you actually don't own Bitcoin, you're shorting Bitcoin. That's other than that. Well, I, I think you're neutral Bitcoin if you don't own Bitcoin as far as shorting it. I mean, you, you, you're saying that. But but when you say that, you're saying that Bitcoin has to go up. Like there's no other alternative well, I other mean, than I know, but I, I've thought about what you're talking about. Yeah. And, and, and so when you're talking about that, I, I, I just want to – I love your oratory. It's great. Yeah. I, 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 I want to talk about this now. I believe – everyone says I can't wait till, uh the United States gets a Bitcoin ETF because that's when the price is going to go up. David James believes <clears throat> that's when Wall Street's going to start manipulating the price. Comment. Uh, I mean, I, I I believe in an efficient market. I don't think the Wall Street can manipulate anything. Like the idea that so right now the crypto marketplace is one point eight trillion dollars. It's got over. It's it, at one point was over two trillion dollars. I don't think one person can manipulate the whole thing. Even right now, let's talk about let's talk about what uh, Robin Hood recently did with the AMC short, right? right. With Citadel. The, well, they didn't allow you to get out. Like the, the, the that's Robin, manipulation, correct? But that's that, not Wall Street. That's Robin Hood's. That's Robin Hood's. Okay, so just just so we're, we're clear, I work for a real online brokerage called no, no, Tastyworks. Robin Hood. Robin Hood. No offense for anybody out there. Robin Hood is for the amateurs. If you if you guys are out there still using Robin Hood, unfortunately, please switch gonna, over to Tastyworks. You're going to get wrecked. You you are not only are you going to get wrecked. They are not, they have no interest in they're already front running your orders and not uh, like you cannot afford free. Please guys, stop using Robin Hood. Please like you're basically playing with a with a big old a bungo bat uh, trying to play baseball you know when everyone else has an aluminum bat. Play with the professionals. Move over to a real brokerage or elite or tech. Okay. Tasty so what you're saying is, if there was a like a bonafide ETF 
by a real company. I don't think I don't think the, the, that anyone would manipulate it. No, I actually what I think would happen. But I'm not worried about the ETF. That's not the issue. The issue is what happens when there's an options market. When there's an options market, think about what happened. Now I can make money off the volatility, right? Options right. are based off well, based off what? They're based off time, uh, theta decay, delta uh, volatility, right? The, right. Uh, you want Vega. it. To, you want it to go Vega. up and down. Exactly. The Vega from from Vega or volatility is what inflates the option price, right? So now I can take these op. These yeah, you pay based on the implied volatility. You, you play pay. So now what happens is because we have an instrument there that I can use to hedge. And and to get rid of some of the risk, the underlying in and of itself becomes less risky. And so I think really what we could, there's so much money to be made in stock options on cryptocurrency if there could ever be, a, and I understand Ledger X does have an options market on crypto, but it's not liquid. It's not liquid at all. It's, yeah. There's not nearly enough contracts traded. So what I'm saying is when this becomes listed and there, there's actual products, so if there's an ETF on crypto and then there's an options market on that ETF, that's what I'm looking at right now. But as far as manipulation, no, I don't believe, okay. I don't believe Wall Street has the necessity or the ability again yes if you put enough billionaires together could you move it a couple of points maybe but i don't think it's going to like openly manipulate bitcoin the other thing is an etf is going to do what so like spx mimics the s&p 500 right. it right. basically takes the 500 you can buy portions yeah but but no spx you can't buy spx is an index spx right, is the right. result of a, of a math equation right spy is the etn okay. that mimics fd and so is forward slash es which is the uh, the futures contract they mimic what spx says right and same thing with uh, deutsche bank has a couple of like fxi and asher these are these are products created by a bank in germany to mimic what the shanghai and hong kong stock exchange do but you can't own the shanghai and stock uh, hong kong stock exchange you can't do that right so we're there to mimic so the idea that we're going to create an etf that's based off what cryptocurrency is doing the 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 etf does not manipulate the cryptocurrency it's the other way around okay does so that that's, okay that's fine so let's let's talk about mstr micro strategies okay all right so uh, some can and have argued that that is, in effect is a, a pseudo bitcoin etf uh, explain to me my micro strategies. Micro strategies basically they are they've got I don't know how many uh, several billion dollars worth of uh, Bitcoin on their balance sheet. Are okay. you familiar with them? Right, but Bitcoin's market cap is eight hundred billion dollars. Right. So I, a, a several several billion isn't enough to move the Bitcoin market. No, 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 we're, no. We're not talking about moving the Bitcoin okay. market. We're talking about how. Well, if you're not f familiar with this play, what what I've noticed uh -huh. is is that you can actually get options, right? Put or put or calls okay. on micro strategies. Right? Okay. It, uh, so micro strategies is a listed yeah. Yeah. A company that you're saying that I can buy puts or calls and they, they, they mimic. No, no, they own they own I, I, I six billion dollars worth of so, so, Bitcoin on their balance sheet. So that's great. So what I would do, in fact, I'll do this right after the, we leave here. I'm going to hit up Tom and Tony, and I'm going to say, can we get, can I get a beta correlation between micro Excuse me, guys. Sorry, between micro strategies and Bitcoin. And Bitcoin. Bitcoin. If I can get a, above a 0.85 correlation, then you're correct. Then I would do that, and I would look for what what's open interest on the stock options for that. That might be a way to do it. But for as as of right now, we've been looking for something that has a super higher correlation to Bitcoin, and we can't really find anything and the the problem is if you can't find something with options that has a correlation of bitcoin you can't hedge bitcoin like you gbtc you can't the grayscale bitcoin trust you can't they, they can't put any options on that right so but there's no options on bitcoin now like liquid option what i mean is five cent between the bid and ask that's what i mean when well, i say I, I, my only one regret is is that you're gonna go find out and i can't tell my audience until i actually have you back which is absolutely gonna happen so um i wanted to ask you <clears throat> we're recruiters <clears throat> and Certainly, you don't lack any confidence about your ability or your brilliance. So what type of job 
could we possibly offer you? If somebody was to say this, we need this kind of person. I've got my ideas, but I want to hear it come out of your mouth. For me, um, I, I, I'm trying to think. That there's like three things I do. One, one thing is I manage money, uh, but I, I try to stay out of the queep. Like in the, in the U.S. military. Queep. 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 What a great word. Queep, queep is me flying the airplane is my job. Me running the planning office is the other shit that I have to do hmm. on top of that. I do not like the administrative part of, of a hedge fund. I right. do not like handling the legal issues of a hedge fund. I like just the math, right? So right. that's the main thing. So as a technician, there's a great book called The E-Myth Revisited, where they yeah, talk we, about- we both, hey. we both read yeah, it yeah. when we went into business. Yep. I told them how to Correct. read it. So you talk about Robert Gerber. For, You're for, speaking to the love language. Protect. Technician, I'm, manager, entrepreneur. I am a technician, Go. technician, technician. I fly an airplane. I manage, like I'm, I, I do the mathematics for the hedge fund. So for, for that, for sure. For podcast hosting, this is another thing that I obviously do. I, there's several. I'm a guest on several of them, uh, and then I have my own show. That's you know, hopefully, you know, just taken off. We got our second episode out yesterday. That's the other thing. So I, I host the red carpet for a bunch of charity events, and then I host a bunch of pageants, and then sometimes I do uh, interviews for different people. That would be the second thing, and then the third thing is. Um, I forget. I rescue cats. That's probably my third. Do you really specialty. rescue cats? I do rescue cats. How That's many cats do you have? Right now, two. I had three. I've had eight. Uh, and then my 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 best friend, she has 13 right now. Oh, God, I shouldn't say that. Oh, Sorry. I, Sorry. Say, say, uh, state of... Uh, Put her on blast. Of, What's her name? If that, she, no, 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 no. Because no, it's not not totally legal to have 13 in, the, in Clark County. Oh, so, <laughs> you, you mean your imaginary friend? My imaginary friend imaginary has 13. Friend. And then yeah, yeah. my other imaginary friend, she has seven. And so I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually going to rescue one or two more. Basically, I fostered them, and then they go back to to whoever. We kind of like started that way with like little Yorkies, right? Yeah. And foster, but we live in a small place in Carlsbad. But anyhow, um, so I want to talk to you about something else. I remember uh, somebody was showing me, another podcaster in town, he was showing me that there was this school that was happening in Las Vegas. And if, if I sign you up for the school and you pay $1,200, well, I get 10%. Mm -hmm. And then if you sign him up, you get 10%. I get five. You're totally a multi-level marketing. Yes. And, their, and their big thing was, and you, in crypto, it's all crypto. And you will get the same play on the six and seven and eight fig figure trades that these guys are doing. And I just said to the guy, there are so many people that are going to get wrecked because a strategy of somebody who's putting $150 million in a position, that could be for 10 minutes, right? And you, you just, oh, well, he did it, so I'm doing it. And so there's the, the whole time delivery. Can you comment on things like that? Uh, it sounds to me like he's building his own front running. Right. You're right. Talk you about like he literally I, I, I want our audience to know I mean this is this is the most technical yes. interview we've ever had and I let it go yeah. because you're just so eloquent of making people understand at such a high level yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah. So explain to our audience uh, I'm, how, I'm curious Travis do you know what front running is? I do not know. Okay, so just imagine if if I'm going to buy uh, a certain XYZ Bitcoin, uh, cryptocurrency, okay? Okay. I, I know I'm going to buy it, but what I do is I know I can convince you to buy it first. I'm talking my book. I love XYZ. So I get you to buy it, but right before you buy it, I buy it. I get it at a cheaper price than you, and then you raise my price. Does that wow. make sense? That's right. Sounds to me like an MLM where I would do the exact same thing, and I'd have a bunch of people, and I would tell them, man, we're going to do, we have this incredible play. So it's to our audience, Tuesday. do you hear that? If someone's saying, hey, pay up and come to the school, and if you get other people come to the school don't walk run from this okay because you will qualify at the bank for the fool in the money program all right so going on so you said that blockchain is going to change the world absolutely talk about it so so the idea let, let's separate blockchain from bitcoin okay yeah. for those Do of you it. for those yeah, of you who are listening necessary. here yeah this you is can, excellent you can use blockchain for voting and i don't know how we have it in fact that to me nothing speaks more to the corruption of american politicians right now that oh, yeah. they are not killing each other to ensure our, the sanctity of our voting process through blockchain. 
it is beyond logical. Any argument against using blockchain for voting is an it's illogical it's argument. It's so nuts. And there is no math but or they science. They also have to agree it. to actually have IDs, right? <coughs> so that they got to do no, that correct. too. But keep going. Go correct. Ahead. There is literally no logical argument against it. But for, you can use blockchain for any kind of voting or any kind of record keeping. So for those of you who don't understand, just unless so, you want it corrupt, then that's a logical then argument. Then that's a logical right? argument for, for voter suppression or, or whatever one's going to say. Correct. Right. So so like literally, not only that. Now what happens is you can you can vote from your phone at this point. You can use biometric data in order to ensure your identity, and then you can vote using blockchain. Therefore, what happens is it's not a board of electioneers, people who are, are sanctifying the or certifying the election. It is literally millions of people, millions of nodes, all agreeing this transaction did happen, right. and, and David did vote for this candidate. Therefore, it cannot be faked. And right. there is one universal ledger in, on which his vote for this candidate yeah. is there for it's all eternity. Immutable. Yeah. And immutable. Completely irrevocable. Like, so, so if we do that, that's one thing that'll change. So blockchain, using blockchain by having basically you and I are going to go exchange tickets, and instead of you me doing it and you pulling a gun on me and robbing me, it's like you and me are exchange tickets, and there are literally one million people watching the transaction between you and I, and they certify the transaction. That's what blockchain is. And because of that, it's brilliant. But the problem is there is, like what Warren Buffett talks about, there is no moat. There is really, literally nothing that's stopping the three of us from going and learning enough coding in the next couple weeks and building our own currency. Our own blockchain. Our own right. currency. So because yeah. of that, there is no moat. And I believe as of right now, there are 11,000 coins on, on uh, a coin market cap. Um, and <clears throat> it is a little frightening to me that the entire market cap is $1.8 trillion and 800, trillion of the 800 billion of that is in one coin. And then I believe another four hundred billion is in yeah, the bit, second Bitcoin coin. and Ethereum respectively. B B Bitcoin and Ethereum, and then the third one is Binance Coin. Binance Coin is now the third highest yeah, that, market cap. And, and basically, that that's going to end so badly. Yeah, but that's I mean, but, but that, it's the native correct. coin, their utility coin. Correct. Right. So so now we're again we're separating the coins from the, the from the technology. Bitcoin, great. Uh, I'm sorry, blockchain, great. As far as Bitcoin, the problem is while I love these coins and I love these entrepreneurs. I am find myself surrounded by the, I was like, hey brother, weren't you selling me a Forex product two years ago? I'm confused. Wait, did, that's the same guy who was selling me the, the penny stocks uh, thing. Oh wait, you were trying to sell me annuities four years. I remember you trying to sell me mm -hmm. this annuities product. I was trying to sell term life insurance. Wait a second, did, didn't you try to get me in this MLM? Wait a second, didn't you rent that Lamborghini? Isn't that a fake watch? It's the same guys. It's this bro, this bro culture that comes in and I don't trust these guys. Like I just don't, uh, in, inherently the best thing that I think the crypto community could do would be to shed these individuals who came. No offense, I like the guy, Tim Sykes. If Tim Sykes <laughs> is in, if Tim Sykes is in your, is in your industry, that's because specifically they're looking to fake it till you make it. Tim Sykes, I've heard him say these words out loud. He's like, literally, he will do whatever he has to do from a marketing pr perspective to sell his product. I do not want these individuals in my space. Sounds like uh, Vince from ShamWow. I don't know who that is. Oh, no. ShamWow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. ShamWow. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I don't want these individuals in my space. I think they hurt the space. And I think that's one of the reasons why traditional media, or I'm sorry, traditional finance has has been slow to adopt this technology, right? I still talk to old, you know, old man yelling at clouds about Bitcoin. My, my fund manager, he's not a huge fan of it. Mm -hmm. I have to sit there and explain it to him and he just doesn't give a shit. And then when I start talking about NFTs, oh my God, the, the glazed over look on his face, like NFTs, I don't give a shit about this. And it just becomes, it becomes crazy. But then, but I, but then, then I go back and I explain like, no, if you go back fundamentally, it is similar to regular equities. It's just not regulated Do me by a the favor. Security Exchange Commission. G give my audience, right? And the, uh -huh. the audience, they're not... 
speak at their level in two minutes what NFTs are and how they could understand uh, the concept. Yeah, so non-fungible to tokens. So basically, if I have a dollar bill, uh, like like these dollar bills right here, if I have a hundred dollar bill and I'm like, hey, bro, can you give me that one hundred dollar bill that you have, and then I'll give you another hundred dollar bill? You don't care because they're all fungible. You can switch these hundred dollar bills back and forth. They doesn't make any difference. But if I have a token and it is the only token of Michael Jordan hitting that jump shot uh, against the Cleveland Cavaliers against Craig Elo, and it's one of one. It's the only one that exists. I could sell that for $600,000. So a lot of you, you're like, no, I can just look that up on YouTube. Correct. But you don't have a, just, just like you could go on uh, Google right now and you could save a picture of the Mona Lisa to your phone, but you don't own the Mona Lisa. The Mona Lisa <laughs> in and of itself that exists in the Louvre in Paris, France right now, that Mona Lisa is worth countless mil hundreds of millions of dollars, maybe a billion dollars is what, the Mona, perhaps, right. yeah, what the Mona Lisa is worth. The actual Mona Lisa, you understand that the physical owning of that Mona Lisa exists. Well, just imagine something physical, except that it's it's digital, but it's only one of one or five of five that exists. Uh, Luca hitting that step back. Luca uh, Doncic hitting that step back over the Clippers. I believe that one sold for like forty, fifty thousand. The NFTs for that. Several of the Michael Jordan NFTs. So the, I, for me, I'm into NFTs just because of basketball. I'm a top shot in NFTs, but. You can do it. The original, the first tweet is an NFT. I have a feeling like some of my friends have podcasts. They're turning their podcast into NFTs. Hmm. I work for a charity called Babes in Toyland. They're going to turn a lot of their programs into NFTs. And so these are just tokens, not, not necessarily like Which coins. I want you to talk about next. Because uh -huh. if everybody's doing an NFT, right, then where is and isn't the value? When do we get to the point where now it's just the world's largest swap meet that you just can't see everything in? So, so um, in any complex adaptive system, what you're going to have is like, there's been a lot of attempts to like, for instance, wish tried to do what Amazon's doing and they're doing it just not quite the same way. And there's, there's different attempts like Uber and Lyft there's to try to do something, but there for every Uber and Lyft, there's about 1000 failed apps that tried to do that. I think what'll happen is you're going to have a few different spaces where the NFTs are going to be worthwhile. I have friends of mine that are like C and D list celebrities have, they have their own NFTs. <laughs> they live in Los Angeles. Is, is John a C or a D celebrity? John uh, Orlando. John Orlando would, Jen Orlando's a, a B or an A. He's <laughs> Vegas, Vegas, he's an A. He's an A. John Orlando in can get, Summerlin, he's an A+. Plus. In Summerlin, he's an A+, plus for sure. Don't even have to wait when you go to Jing. With John uh, so, 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 like, again, going back to that, uh, you know, the the thing is, I have friends of mine who are like, these guys are not celebrities. They just have a couple hundred thousand followers on Instagram and they're they're launching NFTs of themselves and they're like having these games where they're trying to pump up and down each other's stock price for their NFTs and it's just so crazy. But the thing is, eventually when we talk about institutional money, is it going to put itself in there? I think there's it's just like with with cryptocurrency. You're going to have a few people up at the top and then it's going to bifurcate into this like very small group of thousand coins. There it is. And the same situation is going to happen with NFTs. You're going to have a few reputable NFT distributors and the rest of them are just going to be silly. Like, listen, listen, if there's an NFT for the December 1953 issue of Playboy with Marilyn, Marilyn Manson, Monroe. Marilyn, Marilyn Manson on Manson. Playboy. Wow, what a <laughs> freak. Marilyn Monroe. If there if there's an actual NFT for that and it's like 10 out of 10, that's worth money. I absolutely agree with you. If you had a digital cop perfectly rendered digital copy of that and then it said it had like the token literally had like some icon showing that this is one the only one that you own, I can understand that because you're speaking people's language who understand in 1953 when Marilyn Monroe did Playboy. That was a huge thing. So now I can get that. But for some people, the other ones, like the first ever tweet sold for 600000 something like that. 
uh, yeah, Jack Dorsey. Jack Dorsey, yeah, right. Yeah, he sold his first I, I, tweet. I don't, I don't need to own that for 600000 but I get it. I understand why somebody wants to own it. So, again, there's sneaker heads. There's people who are into looking at you know videos of feet. There are people who are into all kinds of fetishes. Some people maybe just want yeah, to own hey, a tweet. After the show, I wanted to show you my sneakerhead uh, collection, okay. my NFTs. Hey, so seriously, we we got to pay some bills. So let's just go to our sponsor. And who is that, Travis? Blockchainrecruiters.net. Yeah, we did we okay. do that already? Yeah, we did it already. You know, we I'm, I'm so did cap- it. I'm so captivated by this guy talking. I forgot everything. That's just you're all serious platitudes. I'm so grateful, and I just I can't wait for you to come back on the sure. show again. So here's in, in in wrap up. I want you to speak to our audience, and you've probably had a lot of people. Well, what do I do with my money? I've got it in bonds, right? Or I've got it in a mattress. So as it relates to crypto, just from a very you know macro point of view, talk to our audience about what they should and shouldn't do as it relates to how they get awareness. Not you're crypto. not advising. You're not advising. advising. Right. So from from my standpoint at this point, because you can't hedge, I would not have more than five percent of my total investable assets in cryptocurrency. Just my opinion. My friends in Los Angeles would hit me over the head for saying this. They'd be like, what are you talking about? Take everything you have. Buy Bitcoin now. It's going to a million tomorrow. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> it, could, it could also go to three yeah, tomorrow. You're like, like you're talking your book, brother. Like they don't know. Wait, because wait, let, let me speak to the audience. Okay. You're talking David James watched Bitcoin go from $100 to $3. I watched it go to 1000 to 300 and stay there for several years. I watched it go from 20,000 to 3,000. I watched it go to 64,000 all the way down to 28. 29, 28, mm-hmm. right? And now currently it's pushing 50, right? So so what he's talking about is you shouldn't go all in because for a period of time, your $100,000 could be $17,000. Yes. Right, yeah. that, and that's what you're talking about. For sure, for The for volatility. Sure. And you just, for me, I know this is disappointing if a lot of people hear this, but at some point, I, you, you, nobody wants to think this, but if Bank of America comes out with a coin, right? Zelle is kind of like their, their answer to, or Facebook, to crypto. Or right. If Facebook or Instagram or no, specifically like, let's say Facebook or Tesla or Amazon come out with a coin that's backed by that company's stock. Now, all of a sudden you can break into this market with something that, that can disrupt what Bitcoin has right now. Just Bitcoin is a speculative asset. It still exists, but like it can still be disrupted. It means it doesn't have to go to a million. It could, but it doesn't have to. And then, of, of course, at some point, now what happens when we get to 21 million coins and we stop mining? Or do we need to keep mining? We're not going to... Yeah, well, people- that's another question. How are, how are they going to actually push the transactions? Why would the miners mine? Why would the miners mine? I think there's plenty of miners to push the transactions right now. If you had one... Per- it's like, do you if, if you got rid of 99% of the actors in Hollywood, would you have enough actors? Yes, you would. If you got... Yeah, rid- you just go to the restaurants. Yeah, if you, if you got rid- yeah, but that's like getting rid of the referees and getting the uh, recheck referees in there for, for football, right? I mean, yeah, but yeah, it's, still, I, it's well, not the fo- same. Well, but there's, there's, not, there's not 10 million referees, but there's 10 million or, actors. Or people who are moving from all over the world to get their big break as a referee yeah and there's there's there are 10 million people mining more than 10 million people mining if you had 1 million people mining that'd be plenty of people i think to to verify the transactions so i don't think that's going to be necessarily the issue but um but for me it would be not more than five percent and then the other thing i would tell you guys is to become educated in the mathematical aspects of the different types of markets talk about that so so for me there's an uh dr jim schultz uh, he's a finance professor. He teaches this thing called the Options 101 Crash Course on TastyTrade.com, I, and it's completely free. I recommend people start there because when you learn options, you have to learn the equities that that are underneath. So options are derivatives. That's what we call them, and they're derivatives of equities, right? So we want to learn the options and the equities. We want to learn the option and then the ETF. We want to learn the options on the future and then the future itself. And then eventually, we want to learn the options, and then we want to learn the 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 
crypto that the option will be based on. Eventually, we're going to have derivatives on crypto at some Correct. point. Correct. So let's learn about how futures are different from ETFs or different from ETNs or different from regular uh, listed equities. And then let's learn about unlisted equities. So even like let's learn about cryptocurrency and different things like that. And then let's learn about things like, for instance, IYR mimics the housing market, right? We might do that. Or forward slash uh, a ZB, it's it's bonds, right? ZN is, is notes. We can look, look forward slash CL. We can buy and sell oil contracts. As a retail trader, we can do that. And if we can't afford an entire contract, we can actually do an option spread and for way less money and still own part of that, right? There's a bunch of different ways that we can learn, a bunch of different instruments that we can learn to use. Let's learn those instruments first. Let's understand the actual mathematics behind it. And then let's let's take a second to actually like appreciate a efficient market hypothesis. And when you do that, you come to the realization that no one can predict the future. And when you when you see that, I personally think that the guy who you've been giving your, your family's money to for the last 30, 40 years who works for T. Rowe Price <clears throat> or, or whoever, doesn't know anything more than you. And I think as we progress forward and as you have more access on the internet to different uh, capabilities, different, different, more information, like Bloomberg terminals, absolutely useless. I'm sorry, anyone who ha owns a Bloomberg terminal, what a waste of money. For you to have second and third level quotes to for, for no reason whatsoever. You that, sound kind of indecisive. No, I mean, it's just <laughs> complete, complete waste of money. The, 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 the idea that you're going to be able to look at the open interest and be able to turn stock direction, there should be a scientific study on that. Oh, wait, there has been for the last 40 years, and they all prove technical analysis doesn't work. So when you see that and you see people are winning Nobel Prizes for talking about Brownian motion and a random walk and uh, efficient market hypothesis, then you come to the realization nobody knows anything. So I, I prefer a quantitative approach, which is why I sell stock options. And then when I look at crypto, I look at it for what it is right now. It is a spec speculative asset. Blockchain, incredible. But blockchain and Bitcoin are two different things. There's blockchain in Bitcoin, but it's not the only place where you can use blockchain. Right now, Bitcoin to me is a speculative asset. What I mean by that is when it was at 28 and it went up to 64, there was no new feature added to Bitcoin to make it three times or two times the value. Other than the demand. Correct. Which it was not just a demand. feature in it's itself. It's not a feature. It's just, it's, it's, so it's a speculative asset. So as long as you understand that, that's not bad or good. It's just understand it's a speculative asset and stop listening to the guy, like you said, at 7-Eleven with a tattoo on his neck telling you how it's going to go to a million. He no, no, how know, Doge is going to go to a yeah, million. Yeah, how Doge is going to go to a million. He doesn't know anything. No one knows yeah, anything. Yeah, and the worst thing you can do, I'm just going to jump in, is just buy a coin because you think it's going to go up because someone said so and you've been in the space a week. So I always say this just for fundamentals. Get Safedine's book, The Bitcoin Standard, or get Jimmy Song's book, The Little Bitcoin Book, and understand what Bitcoin is and why Bitcoin is, okay? And I'm not saying that Bitcoin's the end all, but this will give you the fundamental understandings of the hows and the whys of things then you can start doing your own internal uh, inquiries and asking why. Michael Sartain, you've been such a guy. I usually don't let people talk as, as technical as you do, but it was just so profound. And for all my guests, you can replay the tape. You can Google what he's talking about. I mean, I think you're absolutely amazing, and I'm, I'm not giving you false I, platitudes. I, I, appreciate, I appreciate that. One thing that I, I have a question for you guys, Tether. I thought that Tether was kind of a, I'm seeing it now and it seems to be like an institutional product that people are using right now to mimic the US dollar. Or a fraud. So that's my question. So that was the, the, the thing that I understood when I was 
you know, a really deep into the space, like say two years ago, was the idea that Tether did not have enough in reserves in order to it's, be able to. It still doesn't. It still doesn't. But, and the, but reason, the market cap has jumped up to several billion dollars. Sixty-two. And, yeah. the, and the reason why we know that is because basically it's a Bahamian thing, right? And they won't release the on their balance sheet. But if you go to the Federal Reserve of Bahamas, the, that money had to go in and out one way or the other, and it's not there. But um, unfortunately, we're running out of time. Yeah, no problem. And next time I'll tell you my hypothesis on why a tether is a fraud, but also why it's not going to affect the price of Bitcoin when when it crashes because it's sixty eight billion Bitcoin, eight hundred billion. So that think about it like a ten percent correction, no big deal, and it's not going to happen. Travis, my engineer, thank you so much. You're welcome. David Hampton, Robo Recruiter. This was awesome. I'm yep. gonna say it again. Michael Sartain, thank you so much for coming thank on. Thank you, man. And I just I much really appreciate it. some questions. And we're gonna talk about this uh, MSTR 0.85, whatever. I love it. To, you know, Please, I would about. love to see what the beta correlation and is. And everybody yeah. knows I'm David James, the job whisperer. And remember everybody, can whisper. <laughs>